0: How are we going? 2022, huh? I uh, got to the end of last year and I realised just how tired I was. Last year was just tough for all of us in all sorts of ways, right? Like there was just so much going on. Vicky and I um, got some time off. Uh, She quit her job with plans of not doing anything this year and she found something to do. God found her something to do. Um, I had five weeks off of work and um, we managed to escape uh, South Australia and we headed up to Queensland, we had a nice little road trip through New South Wales and up to Queensland and um, stayed with a friend up there who has got this awful house on the Sunshine Coast, it's like three story place with a lap pool and balconies and, um, and it was it was hard work but you know someone had to do it and so uh, But he had this amazing amazing house with this big balcony around the front. And every afternoon we were sitting out on the balcony. And at about 4 o'clock, it was almost 4 o'clock on the dot every afternoon, these birds started circling. Um, And there were uh, sulfur-crested cockatoos and there were corellas and there were rainbow lorikeets and there were also honey eaters and all sorts of birds. And uh, he had a bird feeder just hanging off his balcony. And these birds would come in and there was like an order. The corellas would come in. First, at about four o'clock, and start to feed until the sulphur cresteds turned up, and then they kicked the corellas out and um, took over. And um, it was just fascinating every afternoon at the same time to watch these birds. And my friend had been—he's only been in the house for about six months—and he's slowly nurturing this relationship with the um, with the birds um, to the point now where he can get the tub of bird seed and hold it out. And they'll walk along the balcony and they'll eat it out of the tub he tried putting it in his hand they still won't eat it out of his hand but he's working really hard at you know hand feeding these wild birds that come to visit and they were big these sulphur-crested cockatoos they were huge biggest i've ever seen and um probably because he feeds them so well <laughs> um uh, but there was one afternoon we were sitting there the first few days it was lovely and sunny but it was a day that um, a storm came in and uh, the wind started to blow, and the wind started to blow, and like you could, see the clouds were rolling in, and you could see rain in the distance and as the wind was getting stronger and stronger, you could see the bird this large sulfur crest it was just starting to get a bit wobbly on the balcony rail and I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting what 's he going to do like is he just going to fly off and hide in a tree or how 's he, he going to deal with this wind that was really by this time starting to blow quite hard and he <laughs> He, I'm saying he, it might have been a she, well let's call him a he, um, did this amazing thing as I sat there watching, the way this cocky dealt with this storm and the wind was he he turned his body to face it and then he lowered his head and he held on to the rail and he let the wind just sort of blow all around at him. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, that's got to preach somehow. So God, you better tell me what you're trying to show me. And I I have this sense that God was saying to me, you know, you're really tired at the end of last year. It felt like there were storms and it felt like there was all this wind all the time. And I felt like God's saying, it's not going to get any easier this year. There you go. Uh, I'm in. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was saying, it's not going to get any easier this year, but what you have to learn to do is deal with the storm. You actually have to learn how to deal with the wind when it comes. And it was really interesting. This this bird actually could get its balance by facing into the wind and allowing the natural shapes of its body to let the wind just fly. And then there was this moment where it just sort of... uh, I was was thinking, what's going to happen? The wind didn't ease off or anything. It wasn't that. So I don't know what it was doing, but it sensed this moment when it just poked its head up a little bit, and something must have changed subtly in the wind, and it sort of lifted its head up, and it lifted its wings up, and the wind just took it, and off it went, up, and then it flew off. And it was just this amazing moment, and I've been thinking about that uh, ever since. Had this long four-day drive home, and you know, while I'm driving the car and Vicky's snoring in the uh, in the passenger seat, it gives me time to think about these things, and I was just spending time with God, praying about it, and thinking about all the times in in Scripture where where storms come. And I want to talk about one of them today. I've got a few random thoughts. What I'm hoping to do is have a few random thoughts that somehow in the end sort of all hold together, hopefully. So if you've got your Bibles or your phone, digital or analog, whichever one you prefer, um, have a look at Mark chapter 6. Um I want to get to the bit at the end where Jesus walks on the water, that's the bit I want to get to, but I want to do a little bit of background stuff because I think uh, the background is really important to help us understand what's going on. So um, there's a few things going on in this passage, one of the first things that happens is that Jesus um, sends out the disciples. Uh, right at the, uh, so we're about verse 6 or something, Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. To him, He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Um, so he had this idea that he was giving them his authority. They'd been with him for a while. Mark's Gospel is a really interesting book. Um, there's this, the whole first half of the book is most of the three years of Jesus' ministry and it sort of builds up and builds up and builds up and all the way along Jesus does all these things and Mark captures these comments of people saying who is this man? Who is this man? Who is this man that the wind and waves listen to him? Who is this man that he does this? Who is this Like this question keeps repeating and it builds up to this point in chapter 8 where um, Peter confesses you are the Christ, the son of the living God and then the book turns and sort of races towards the end, and it finishes one of the last bits, not the last chapter, but the second to last chapter, Jesus' crucifixion, and the, the centurion at the foot of the cross who says, surely this man was the son of God. So like he sets this question up all the way, who is this, who is this, who is this, and then this confession that his disciples recognize him, and finally the Roman centurion does, it's like this picture that's going on. Mark's doing it deliberately. And so this story is happening in the setup phase, but Jesus is starting to hand over authority. These disciples have been with him for a while and Jesus is starting to say, this kingdom life, this kingdom ministry, this thing that you're, I'm calling you into is not just me doing it and you watching. So he gives them all the authority. He actually gives them the authority and he sends them out. Two by two in pairs, that's important, we'll talk about that another day, not today. But he sends them out and they start to do the same things that he did without him. In Luke's gospel, it's really interesting, he said, Jesus sent his disciples to all the places that he himself intended to go. So what does that mean? Like, He sent them to, like, they were the setup team, they'd go and get all going, Jesus would turn up, or that the places that Jesus intends to go, he actually gets there by sending us to be there, to do the same thing. And so they're they're healing the sick, and they're raising the dead, and they're casting out demons. Do you you guys know Bill Johnson from Bethel Church in in America? He says um, young people often come to him and say, oh, I need to know God's will for my life. And he says it's really easy. It's in the Bible. He says, just go out and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. Uh, and um, they go, no, 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 I don't mean that. You know, should I be a doctor or a nurse or should I be a plumber or should I? He goes, oh, oh, that's what you mean. Sorry. Oh, it doesn't matter. Pick one and heal the sick, raise the dead, yes. cleanse the leper. Because our identity is in Jesus and His call first, right? And so Jesus is sending the disciples out. While they're out doing all this stuff, Jesus finds out that his cousin John's been murdered. Then they come back and they start reporting, you're not going to believe what happened. The things that you said we could do, we did. We prayed for people and they got healed. We, we cast demons out of people. All this stuff was going on. And they start uh, sharing these stories with Jesus and they had this really busy day. This is, um, uh, we're about verse 30. I'm skipping through. So they, they had this busy day and they're reporting back, and, and uh, there's crowds around, and it, people started coming, and life just got really busy. And Jesus said, Man, we're all really tired. We need a rest. So let's get into a boat and we'll sneak away and we'll have some time off because you guys have just been flat out doing all this stuff. There's now crowds everywhere. Uh, we need some peace and quiet. And Jesus understands that. There is this rhythm of rest that comes in ministry. There's busyness and rest, and we have to learn how to do it. But somehow it seems that Jesus' rhythm of rest is different to our rhythm of rest. So they get in the boat. They go across to the lake, across the other side of the lake. And all these people see what's happening, recognize Jesus and the disciples, recognize what's going on, and they chase it. They run around the lake faster than they can sail across it. And when they land on the other side, there's a crowd there already. It says the crowd was 5,000 men. Add in women and children who didn't get counted. There could be fifteen or 20,000 people waiting on the other side of the lake. And Jesus starts healing them and he has compassion on them and he starts healing, starts teaching, does all this stuff. And it's getting, it's really late in the day by the time they even start. It's getting close to the end of the day and you know the story. The disciples say, Jesus, what are we going to do? Like, If they're all here, it's sort of our responsibility to feed them and like, we don't have enough. And what does Jesus say to them? You feed them. You know, you feed them. It's really like this continual handing over authority is going, right, he's just sent them out. They've just healed people. They've just cast out demons. And Jesus goes, oh, here's another thing for you to do. Do that. How are we going to do that? How are we going to feed 15, 20,000 people? So they, you know, they do the scrounge around to see what they've got and they've got some bread and some a couple of fish and Jesus breaks the bread and blesses the bread and the fish and breaks it and I don't know how you understand what this miracle, how it happened but <laughs> I remember when I was studying this passage at Bible college, there's one commentator that says, what Jesus did, he, he was near the mouth of a cave where he had all this food secretly stashed away. And what he did was like, he had some people in there and he was breaking bread and passing it out and someone was passing in more like this big magic. Seriously, I mean, that's a really cool miracle, isn't it? To actually stash away enough food for 15,000 people in a cave so it's there just when you want it to be there. Like, Nuts. But it's really interesting where does the miracle happen where does the multiplication of the bread and the fish happen depending on how you read the Greek and you can read it a number of ways and so you know you don't have to agree with me but it seems to me that what Jesus does is he blesses the bread and he gives it to the disciples and the disciples break the bread and the multiplication happens in the hands of the disciples not in the hands of Jesus and in fact if you want to push it even further perhaps as they passed it out into the groups as people there started to break the bread it happened there as well so the multiplication happened multiple times that's the only way you're going to feed 15 or 20,000 people right otherwise Jesus is breaking may- just imagine what it would be like to break enough bread for 15 to 20,000 people um, you know RSI Jesus is going to need someone to pray for his wrists at the end and heal them And so all these people get filled and there's basket loads left over. And by this time I am sure they are completely exhausted. And so Jesus uh, puts them, this is the bit that we want to get to, verse 45. So Jesus gets the disciples and puts them in the boat and says you need to get across the other side. I'm going to go up to the mountain and pray, you need to go over there and rest. So let's read it uh, if you want to follow from Verse 45. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, depending on which translation, somewhere between 3am and 6am, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They hadn't understood about the loaves. What does that mean? (laughs) How is Mark taking this story and linking it back to what just happened with the feeding of the 5,000 just 12 hours earlier? What have they missed? Maybe they'd missed this idea that Jesus was continually handing over his kingdom authority to them. Maybe they'd miss that when Jesus says, you do it, he means that it'll actually get done. Maybe they'd miss when Jesus puts them into the boat and says, you go across to the other side, then it's okay, they're going to make it to the other side. Interestingly, they don't end up at the same place that Jesus sent them to. He says they sent them to Bethsaida and they end up at Gennesaret. Don't know why that is. You can work that one out but there's this thing going on that Jesus is saying you're missing what God is doing right now God is moving the kingdom is changing the dynamic of the kingdom is changing it's moving from just being based around me to you having this authority to you following this call and when I send you out to heal I heal when I send you out to cast out demons demons get cast out when I give you bread to break you can feed 20,000 people so why are you worried that when I said you'll get across to the other side of the lake that you might not Don't miss what's going on here. There's something going on about who God is calling his people to be. There's two stories in scriptures about the disciples in a boat on the lake. And sometimes we confuse them. There's one where the disciples get into the boat and Jesus is in the boat with them and Jesus is sound asleep in the boat and the storm is raging and they are panicking because they think they're going to die. This is not that story. The disciples aren't in mortal peril in this story. They're not going to die. Jesus just somehow from up on top of the mountain at three o'clock in the morning can see them out in the middle of the lake and see that the wind is just hard. They are exhausted. They're already tired before they get into the boat and they've hit these headwinds and they're trying to row against the wind to get to the shore and they are just plain exhausted. They have been doing ministry non-stop for days, if not weeks, if not months, if not a couple of years. And now they hit these headwinds and they are rowing and they're rowing and they're straining and they're straining and Jesus says, I'm going to do something about it. Now, I don't know what you do with Jesus walking on the water um, out to the disciples on the boat. I don't know what you, what you think that story is about. I don't know. There's, if you read, you know, if you go and do some proper biblical exegesis, there are commentators that have all sorts of explanations of what's going on there. Jesus is up on the mountain. He sees them. He sees that they're getting tired, so he figures he'll go out and give them a hand. Or Jesus uh Jesus is, uh, decides to go out and sh- and and uh calm the storm for them so they can do it. there's all these there's all these things going on right but there's a really interesting greek word that's only used 3 times in all of scripture in this passage it says Jesus intended to pass them by what does that mean Jesus intended to like you know, they, they had a head start, he was going to meet them on a shore, so he'd walk out, walk past them, say hi, keep going and get them when, when they got to the... What does it mean that Jesus intended to pass them by? Does that phrase sound familiar to you at all? It happens two other places in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and both on a mountain. Not on a lake, a deep, dark, dangerous lake. It's a different context. But there's a guy called Moses. He's on a mountain and he says to God, show me your glory. And God says, I can't do that, you'll die. And God says, him, remember God puts him in this safe place and says, um, I'm about to pass by. Also happens with a guy called Elijah. Interestingly, on the same mountain that Moses experienced God. Where Elijah has just had this terrible battle and he is completely exhausted and he's completely wrecked. We would call it clinically depressed and clinically burnt out. And God does the same thing. I'm about to pass by. I remember, and, God, and there, was a, there was a fire and God wasn't in the fire, and there was the, the storm and God wasn't in all that. There was the earthquake and God wasn't in the earthquake, and then there was this whisper. twice, this idea of God passing by is about some sort of moment of epiphany, some moment of revelation of who God is. And I really believe that's what Jesus is doing here in this passage. He didn't intend to just walk out and sort of pass by them to get to the other side ahead of them. He was going to reveal something about who he was and the character of God to them, While they were straining at the oars, while the wind was blowing, while they were in the midst of the storm and the turmoil, Jesus was going to say, this is who I am. This is not some little insignificant detail in the story. This is the key to all of it. Jesus was about to reveal himself to them and they totally freaked out. Was he going to, we don't know what was going to happen. A bit later on there's a story of Jesus uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration where he uh, shows them all his glory and Moses and Elijah just happened to be there as well. Think about that. Jesus is about to show them exactly who he is. Jesus is about to show them that this kingdom is very different to what they think it is, even up until this point. And as disciples do, even in this moment, they miss it. Even in this moment, they miss it. Because they're afraid, they panic. Jesus sort of goes, hey, hey, don't be afraid, it's all right, it's only me. How many times does Jesus have to say, or angels, hey, we hear it all in the boat, encounters with God always turn into, don't be afraid. Like, you know. They were terrified. They thought it was a ghost. Jesus gets into the boat. The wind dies down and they finish the journey. So it's made me think about this year coming up. If, if there are still going to be storms, right? We haven't finished dealing with COVID yet. We haven't finished dealing with all the stuff that's happening around the world. You know, the earthquake in Tonga just a few weeks ago was another classic example. And the, the, There's still stuff happening in Afghanistan. There's still stuff happening uh, on the borders of Russia and the Ukraine. Like who knows what the world goes this year? We've got a state election and a federal election. Who knows what that means for our country this year? There's all sorts of stuff. The wind is blowing and it's probably not going to ease up for a while. But what if the way God works is when the wind is blowing and when we're tired and when we're exhausted and when we're straining at the oars, he just might want to reveal himself to us. And if we're not careful, we might miss him. We might mistake him for something else. We might get afraid, oh, it's a ghost. You have to say that when you say ghost, right? You have to say ghost like it's... We don't want to miss what God's doing this year. And even if there's a storm, and even if it feels like we are constantly rowing into a headwind because of everything else that's going on around us, Jesus is still revealing himself to us. And even more than that, Jesus has already given us the authority to act on his behalf in this world. That's our call. Like, this happens after he hands over his authority to heal, after he hands over his authority to to cast out demons, after he's given the disciples the authority to break the bread and distribute it to everyone. Like there's this stuff going on all the time. This is the ministry that they're being called into deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and God says to them, this is who you are now. And when the storms come and when the wind blows, maybe you do need to sort of duck your head down and face into it rather than look side to side, rather than panic, rather than get off balance, rather than start flapping your wings around and getting panicky about it. Maybe you just need to turn and face it head on and be who I called you to be. And take the authority that I've given you already and heal the sick. Cleanse the leper, Raise the dead. Anyone anyone done that? I know a guy, met a guy a number of years ago, a guy from Africa who I know um, has personally seen about 400 people raised from the dead. So that one's sinking. Feed the hungry. Bless those who need blessing. This is the call of the kingdom. And I'm sure I know that this is the call of God for this church. That shouldn't be news to you. <laughs> like that's not a new thing, right? This is a call. Despite what the world throws at us, despite what the the culture throws at us, despite what coronavirus throws at us, despite what all these things that are thrown at us, we will turn and we will face the wind and we will put our head down and we will look it in the eye and we will be who God's called us to be and we will heal the sick and we will raise the dead and we'll cleanse the leper and we'll feed the hungry and we will change the world whether the wind blows or not. We don't wait for the wind to die down before we start doing the ministry stuff. We don't even wait until we're rested and refreshed enough to do the ministry stuff because this this is what Jesus means by being rested, you know. When do they get to rest? Oh, you guys are tired, off you go. Oh, we're in now, sorry. And then they get to the other side after this and there are people already turning up again. If you look at the end the, uh, end of the story... As soon as they got out of the boat, boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried all those who were ill on mats, wherever he heard there was. And whenever he went into villages and towns, countryside, they placed all those who were ill in the marketplace. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. All who touched it were healed. That's a reasonably good percentage. I'd be happy with 50%. And they just keep going. They just keep going because the mission is too urgent. Mark has this sense of the way he writes his gospel is this mission is so urgent. There is something happening right now. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is right here. It's touchable, it's tangible, it's right at our fingertips. If you just reach out, you can grab it. And there's no time to waste. If you read Mark, you can read Mark's gospel in like an hour or hour, two hours, like really quick to read through, and it just goes one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. There's no sense of, we'll just stop for a minute and reflect on what's going on. It's like it's just going and going and going. The mission is too urgent. The kingdom is here. God's at work now. And just like Ben said before, We're not called to stay in our little buildings and huddle down and just, you know, make sure we feel okay if the the storm's blowing outside a bit. We're called to go out there and face it. Why? Because Jesus has given us the authority to do it. We don't have to be afraid of the storm. If Jesus has said we're going to get to the other side, we're going to get to the other side. Let's not let our hearts get hardened. Let's, not, let's learn the lesson of the loaves. There's always more. There's always left over. God will always do what he says he's going to do. There is never a time where Jesus said, I'm going to do this and didn't do it. Never. There is never a time where Jesus sent his disciples to do things that didn't happen. All we have to do, and here's, here's my, um, my thought about this. I've got a friend who trained to be a pilot. You know I told you the story of Dan, the pilot? My friend Dan, out of high school, trained to be a pilot. And um, one of his first jobs he got, once he was a commercial pilot, was flying charter flights um, around, out of Adelaide. And he, uh, one day, one of the first flights he had, he had this charter flight. He was flying uh, this family of people from Adelaide to Port Lincoln. It was a lady's 80th birthday. And um, for she'd never been on a plane before, so f- um, she had some family that lived over on Air Peninsula. So her family all chipped together and they chartered a flight. And Adelaide family jumped on this plane and they flew across to Port Lincoln for the weekend for a big celebration for I think it was her eightieth. And um, so gets on because he's the only one, right? The pilot. There's no it's like it's an eight seater or twelve seater plane or something. So. Um, They pile into the plane. He has to do the safety briefing. He does all that sort of stuff. He tells them they need to keep the window blinds up. Do you know why they keep the window blinds up? It's because the most likely time something bad happens with a plane is either on takeoff or landing. And everyone's looking out the window. So if something's going to go wrong, you've got hundreds on a commercial plane, hundreds of eyes on the same thing, and you can actually see what's going on, and you can actually get a warning that something's gone on, often before the pilot even knows. So he says to them, you know, if you see anything, just let me know, we'll all be fine. And she was a bit nervous. and Anyway, they get off. It's, it's Friday night, it's dark, they're flying across to Port Lincoln. They're about 15 minutes out of Adelaide, and uh, this lady says, Dan, Dan, there's another plane out there. He looks around, he can't see another plane. She goes, No, I can see it. I can see another plane. He goes, Really? She goes, Yeah, I can see another plane, it's just out there. And he goes, Oh he radios the control tower and radios air traffic control and says, Look, is there any other aircraft in my vicinity? They said, No, nope, you're clear. He goes, Oh, look, no, no, there's nothing. She goes, I I see it, Dan. There's a plane out there. And he goes, Where? He goes, she's just out there. He says, Tell me what you're seeing. And she says, just out there, there's a red light and I can see it and it's sort of there and it flashes a bit and he said to her do me a favour could you look out the other side of the plane and tell me if you see a green light and she went oh I do Dan there's a green light as well and he went it's okay they're just the navigation lights and she went the what the navigation lights. She goes, I don't understand what you mean. He says, They're the navigation lights. They, they, they're on the wings of our plane. And he was trying to explain. She just wasn't getting it. And he said, She said, I don't understand, Dan. He said, OK, simple. As long as we stay between the two lights, we'll get to Port Lincoln, OK? <laughs> so they land at Port Lincoln. Put the, put the stairs down, getting off the plane. She goes, oh, Dan, that's the best flight I've ever been on. It was the only flight she'd ever been on. It's the best flight I've ever been on. And Dan, I watched the whole time. You are an amazing pilot. You stayed exactly in the middle of those two lights <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> I wonder what our navigation lights might be this year. Maybe. Maybe trust is one of them that we trust God, that what he says he will do, he will do. And then the other one, someone should write a song about this, Trust and Obey. That would be a fun song, I should write that. What if we had trust on one side and obedience on the other and we stayed right in the middle of them? Whatever the wind is coming, whatever's facing us, We'll know that God will get us to the place to the other side. Would you stand with me? Let's just spend a minute waiting on God. in this place where I just sense God wants to just refresh us and renew us since there are people who are just tired and exhausted and it's the start of the year and you're going how can I feel like this already like it's February and already I'm out of energy for the year And maybe in your work or your family, situations that are around you, it feels like the storms are already blowing. The wind's already rushing past you. Have this call to not shirk it, to keep our balance, to trust and obey, and to turn and face the wind. but I really believe the thing that the Lord wants to do most today is to remind you who you are. That he has called you. Scriptures say our names are engraved in the palm of his hands. He's not letting us go. And when he calls us, he keeps his promises. When he tells us to go somewhere, he gets us there. Maybe there's some of you and you're just dealing with disappointment. It feels like God promised you something last year or the year before or even 10 years ago and he still hasn't come through with it. You still haven't seen the results of that promise. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you be obedient to him? Will you keep doing what he's called you to do? until he tells you it's time to do something else. But most importantly, there is this thing that we just, if you've traveled overseas and seen churches overseas, they get it a whole lot better than we do. We don't get it so well in our Western culture. But Jesus has given us an authority to change the world around us. We can uh, we can be like a thermometer. Well, you know what a thermometer does, right? If there's a thermometer in a room. It tells you the temperature of the room, right? And you can go and check it and it'll... If it's accurate, we'll accurately tell you what the temperature is. And we can be like that. We can, we can reflect the temperature of the room around us. We can do what everyone else does. We can fit in. We can, we can make sure that our temperature matches the temperature. And when everyone's grumpy, we can be grumpy. When everyone's happy, we can be happy. You know, the, you, know, the, you know those things, you know your parties? You've been to a party and everyone's happy and then someone walks into the room and they've got like a storm cloud over their head and the whole party just goes, right? Because as well as being a thermometer, we can also be a thermostat. You know what a thermostat does, right? It sets the temperature of the room. This is the authority of the kingdom, not to reflect everything else that's going on, but to set the temperature. This is our call. In our community, we get to set the temperature. We get to say, this is what our community will be like. We get to declare that prophetically. We get to act that out in how we engage with people, how we meet people, how we care for people, how we pray with people. And we get to demonstrate the kingdom that is different to what the rest of the world around us looks like. And we get to change the temperature. This is our call. Even when the storms are blowing, even when it's tough, even when we are tired, we get to set the temperature. In fact, we don't just get to do it, we are called to do it. We're called to make a difference. We're called to make this community a different place. This church is here in, in, in uh, Corinthians Paul writes to the church of the Corinthians he's talking about the body and all the parts that make it up and he says to them and God places every part exactly where he needs it to be. And so if you are part of this church, God has placed you here because it's exactly where you need to be. And this church is here because God has placed this church here because it's exactly where he needs it to be. This is the call of the gospel, to be exactly who God has called you to be and to change the world because of it. I really sense that the Lord's starting to do it, but he's going to do it more. If there's, a, there's a fresh anointing just to be who you're called to be, to take that authority, to take that kingdom authority and to be who God has called you to be in the midst of the storm. So if you're up for it, just raise your hands, lift your, open your hands up. Lord, would you pour out your power? Would you pour out your anointing, God? Bring your refreshing and your renewing. Bring your fire, God. It's really interesting. The other thing these birds did to deal with the weather was they huddled up close together in a bird-appropriate social distance sort of way. But they, they, they huddled up close together and they faced the wind together. They found each other. So Lord, thank you that you've given us each other. That this authority is given to individuals, but it's given to us in community. That we only reach our full potential in you when we're doing it in life, community with other people. Lord, give us everything we need this year. To face the winds. To stay balanced. The trust and obey.